the end zone, has a man open, touchdown, Justin Blackman. everybody to another edition of Locked On Pokes. I'm your host Colby Powell. Glad everyone is with me on this Wednesday. Hit me up on Twitter at Colby J. Powell at Locked On Pokes and find our partners Boone Pickens State on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Keeping you updated with all the best Oklahoma State news and notes as we continue to wait on news as to what a new college football season might look like. Dion Amade joins me Every single Wednesday here on Locked on Pokes. Former Oklahoma State Cowboy, uh, Dion, aren't you glad that you are not currently an Oklahoma State Cowboy having to deal with the prospect of the unknown? I mean, that's really what it is. It's, it's the prospect of the unknown and not knowing if there will be a season, when it will be, who you're playing, and quite frankly, how safe it is. It's It's got to be, uh, I, I would think, wearing on the players mentally a little bit, just having to deal with the prospect of the unknown. Yeah, man, it's got to be rough because I'm thinking back to my days at Oklahoma State and how the thing about uh, college athletics that you have to grasp is everything is about a routine. Everything is about a schedule. Everything is about every hour of the day knowing where you're going to be and what you're going to do. So it's putting a, a, a deep strain on these, you know, people who have to make these decisions and organize these players' schedules. And then for the players not knowing or not being able to anticipate what's going to happen from week to week, what the practice schedule is going to look like, uh, who you're going to be able to come in contact with, what you're going to be doing if you're, like, like here's the, the, I got an email yesterday because I am in the MBA program at Oklahoma State, and they sent me an email saying that, uh, classes wouldn't be mandatory okay so now you gotta see if you're making decisions at the at the administration level are we still going to check classes for athletes if that's something we're still going to be able to do and then if you're an athlete are you going to potentially put yourself in the danger of going to class or are you just going to you know uh, be able to you know hang back and and do your work from at home or is there going to be a situation or some kind of you know, accessibility to the internet where you can do your classroom just strictly online. I mean, just so many things are up in the air, not just as far as between the white lines, but outside of of the day-to-day life of the football facility. It's, man, it's crazy times, and I do not envy these players right now in the situation they're being placed in. What is the name of the uh, the the academic center? It's in gallagher but It's where all the athletes go, the academic center. Um, all the help, tutoring, everything like that. What's it called? The Academic Center. Is that really what it's called, the Academic Center? <laughs> yeah, I mean, unless they changed it or gave it some official name for some big donor or some big booster, we just called it the AC, the Academic Center. Okay, fair enough. That makes it simple. So <laughs> is, it, is it even feasible for the university and the coaches, the athletic director, whoever, to tell all of the student athletes that they're not to attend class in person, that they can come to the AC to try to, because again, I don't think, I think legally you would have a real hard time bubbling 
college players the way they're doing with the NBA. So I don't think you can have a strict bubble where there are like lines you can't cross and all these different things you can't do because at some point you cross a threshold where you then have to admit that players are employees, which obviously uh, collegiate athletics cannot do. Otherwise, they'll totally ruin uh, the model that they have. So is it feasible for them to tell their athletes, hey, you don't go to class, you go to the AC, you'll have some virtual learning, we'll bring some professors in, um, and, and basically anyone who comes in who's not an athlete from the outside, you know, mass social distancing, all that stuff. Is that feasible to not have athletes actually go to class? I don't know, man, because here's the, the next thing. I mean, the best thing about college is the interaction between other individuals. You're talking about a central hub where basketball players, softball players, uh, track athletes, and football players, we can all, like, that's how we all, like, met and got to know each other and found, you know, common ground and stuff like that. We all met at the academic center, and we were all going through the same thing of going through athletics and training and trying to go through school and some of us having the same majors and dealing with the same facilitators and the same administration people in that little central hub. So the thing, the mo- I, and let's be honest, athletic-wise, the most important thing for all these universities right now is to keep the football players safe. Let's just be frank about it because those are the ones that are bringing in the money and that's typically... I mean, that's the biggest sport to begin the year. So, I mean, if we're taking that, if we're handling one thing at a time, it's the football players. And so would they try to separate these players from different sporting groups, like keep the basketball players and the football players and the softball players and all those guys away, just in case there's an outbreak on one team, it doesn't spread through the whole athletic department. I think that would be a major concern and something that we'd have to think about. And if that's the case, then where do you take these athletes to go, you know, do their academics? Where do you take them to, to have a chance to, you know, learn and get the extra help that they need? Do you, you give the football players the academic center and then you put the basketball players in their locker room or send tutors to them in those aspects? Or, I mean, what's the, how, who makes that decision? Yeah, that's a good question. I, I don't even know where um, they would put everybody. I really don't. Also, um, don't multiple sports, I mean, don't pretty much every sport share the same weight room? Uh, it, see, here's the thing. I think, I believe there's, I want to say there's three. I know when I was there, there's two, there were two. There was the one that was connected to the football locker room, which was ours. That's the only one that we went to. And I believe the track team came there sometimes. I believe sometimes the the girls' basketball team came there. But a majority of the and then the old one that was underneath, like, by Gallagher-Iba, that was the one that the basketball, most majority of the basketball team and the, and the other sports you know, went to that one primarily unless it was booked and then they came into the other one. So, yes, they do share, you know, weight rooms, but it's like, you know, you know how the schedules go. They had to, like, book those things off, but primarily the football team has that specific weight room. Yeah, it'll be really interesting to see what the NCAA decides. They've got a meeting on August 4th. August 4th is six days from today. That is on Tuesday. Uh, also, Dion and I were talking before we came on, I mean, if they do go out there and, and, and 
teams lace it up on August 29th, that's 31 days from today. So we are theoretically a month away from college football season starting. And the SEC, the Big 12, and the ACC all kind of labeled the end of July a few weeks ago as whenever they would want to make these decisions. But now with the NCAA decision coming next Tuesday, I think these conferences are probably going to kick the can down the road and wait to see what the NCAA is doing um, because the last thing you want to do is come out with your announcement uh, and then uh, the NCAA says something different and it, it's a whole mess. So obviously I don't think communication is uh, at its peak between conferences and the NCAA. Look no further than how shocked the other conferences were the day that the Big Ten and Pac-12 announced they were going to conference only. It's like, okay, there's not a ton of uniformity across college football. Also, for those season ticket holders out there that are wondering if you're going to have seats, how that's going to work, uh, don't have any announcements yet on what capacity will be at Boone Pickens Stadium, but we did see a pretty major domino fall uh, earlier at Columbus, Ohio. Dion, Ohio State has announced that they're limiting capacity to 20%. And that's one of the biggest college football programs in the country. So uh, I would say keep an eye out over the next couple weeks. Because I, I would imagine at some point in that span is when we'll know how many fans are in the stadium. And Dion, we talked about the players having to deal with all this. I, what would be weirder, Dion, playing in an empty stadium and, and they pump in crowd noise or playing in front of 10,000 people that are spread all around Boone Pick and Stadium to where no singular noise comes from any direction. What would feel weirder to you as a player? The weirdest would be an empty stadium pumped with crowd noise. That would be a little weird and odd. The only time we've ever done that, and and players would know this, it's like at, at the end of two-a-days in fall camp, uh, we have a dress rehearsal the Saturday before the first game. And we, you know, put on our pads, we get dressed, we stretch. Coach Gundy is, is infamous for this, and it is a very, very, very serious day. Like, if you screw up, if you mess up, it's like every, all your coaches tell you, man, like, this is a serious day. Do not mess up. Do not co- get Coach Gundy on edge. And so we do a dress rehearsal and they, and you know, they put in noise, they, and so you can get the feeling of how loud it's going to be, especially for the freshmen and the people for the first time that are going to be out there in the atmosphere. They let them know where you're supposed to be stretching wise. And that we run through like a, a little scrimmage, a little game so we can anticipate and get a nice dress rehearsal. That would be the, essentially that would be the same feeling, but with other players, other teams on the field that would be very weird now a, a stadium where it's just you know 10,000 people spread out I mean I think you can you, you wouldn't that wouldn't you know be different from any of the high school games that some of these people have played at well, you know what I'm saying so I think that would be yeah, <laughs> exactly I mean that would be something that you can you can get used to very quickly. I think the empty one with the crowd noise would be very strange. Though. Yeah, it would. It'll be really, really interesting and weird to see what it all looks like when it comes together. Why don't we take a break, come back on the other side. Let's talk some actual football. We never got into the uh, the, the media, the preseason poll a couple weeks ago. I think we had a week that we were off uh, and missed that. Chuba being the Big 12 preseason player of the year. So uh, we'll get some of Dion's thoughts on what the Big 12 will look like, uh, who the powerhouses will be, kind of OUOSU and Texas at the top having to pick two of those three that you think could potentially make a Big 12 championship game. So we'll get into all that whenever we come back. Stay with us here. Don't go anywhere. We'll be back on Locked on Pokes. 
Welcome back. Rolling along here on Locked On Pokes on a Wednesday. Colby Powell and Dion Imade with you as always. Dion, we, we've talked about all the ways in which we can potentially either make or break a college football season, whether we will or won't have it. Let's talk about what actually happens uh, once these guys take the field. Obviously, Oklahoma State is returning a ton of starters, 19 of 21 starters returning. I think that that number actually probably goes to 18 uh, with the announcement that Dylan Galloway made a few weeks ago that he is retiring from the game of football. Uh, You look at the preseason polls, uh, Dion, and pretty much everybody's got Oklahoma State slotted in at number two right behind Oklahoma. Obviously, some big news yesterday, the day before, out of Norman with Lincoln Riley's contract extension that will keep him in Norman until 2026. Uh, So that's a big deal for OU and for Lincoln Riley and very scary for the rest of the Big 12 and college football that he's locked up in Norman for that long. But is that kind of uh, your one, two, three? If I had to ask you today, again, we're still 31 days out from the potential start, so, so we won't make picks until we get closer to the season. But if I were to ask you today, is that kind of how you're slating the top end of the Big 12 Conference? Yeah, I definitely think it, it is that one, two, three, no particular order. Uh, Oklahoma State, Oklahoma, Texas, in my opinion. Yes, you look at those three schools and you say no particular order. Uh, let's do particular order. I'm putting you on the spot. I, I want to know. O- Oklahoma obviously has the turnover at quarterback. The only one of those three teams at the top that has the turnover at quarterback. They return a ton of talent elsewhere. And obviously Lincoln Riley has things moving in the right direction. And the turnover at quarterback is Dispenser Rattler, the number one overall recruit. And I believe it was the 2018 class uh, that came in. Maybe it was the 2019 class. He registered one year. Uh, so it would have been the 2019 class that Spencer Rattler came in. Uh, no quarterback turnover at Texas. Sam Ellinger is going to be there for, I don't know, another 10, 15 years maybe. Feels like he's been there forever already. And then Spencer Sanders at Oklahoma State. So it's it's kind of tough to do, but if we're ranking those three quarterbacks, again, we've, we haven't seen Spencer Rattler play at this level, but oftentimes, whenever you try to figure out who's going to be the best team, you have to figure out who's going to be the best quarterback. So if I put you on the spot and ask you to rank those three quarterbacks for me a month out, how would you stack them up? Well, here's the thing. I mean, Spencer Rattler doesn't even have the starting job at OU right now. I mean, he's slated to be oh, in that's that true. spot. And I'm pretty, sure, I'm pretty sure when opening day hits on the 29th of August, he will be behind, under center. But, like, you know how you know how Lincoln Riley gets down. He will not name a starter until that opening snap and that opening series. He, he put that competition last year with Jalen. He, he had that competition. And I say though, the competition with air quotes uh, the season before with the Heisman Trophy winner, Kyler. And then even before that, I mean, the only time he's had, he hadn't had a, uh, a competition was when Baker came back for, for his second year. He will not name a starter. So there's no, there's no way that these people who are making these predictions and slating this know how good Spencer Rattler's going to be at this level when his head coach doesn't, doesn't even have the confidence to say he's going to be our start, starting quarterback. So I don't, and, and that's the thing that all these preseason polls are all about. It's how many returning starters do you have and do you have a returning starting quarterback? That's the thing that all these things look at. That's what it always comes down to. And if we're looking at it in that aspect, 
I, I mean, I might be slightly biased here, but you got to give Oklahoma State the nod. I mean, they have the most returning starters, and they got a returning starting quarterback who played fairly well last year, has a lot of experience under his belt, and he's and, and from everything that I'm hearing, it seems like he has head on straight over there and is gearing up for a very good season. And with the weapons that he has, I mean, just to add, put that on top of it. Not only do we have a bunch of starters coming back with a lot of experience, not only do we have a top-notch defense, not only do we have a quarterback who's coming back, but look at the talent that is around him in those starting positions. I mean, you have arguably two guys that are, without a doubt, close your eyes, first-round type talent. Now, there is a question mark still with Tylen Wallace coming back off of injury, but from everything that I hear, you know, it's looking good, and he's looking like he's a player who can bounce back and, and have a dynamic season. That's encouraging. And then not only that, but look at the defense, man. Look at the defense. Let, I mean, let's two do this. guys. Let's do this. I want to take a quick break, Dion. I want to take a quick break and come back and talk about the defense because we're going to be up against it, and they deserve more time. They deserve more than uh, the last minute that we have available here. So we're going to take a break, come back. Dion played defense at Oklahoma State. He knows what it means to play uh, high-level defense at that level. So we're going to get his thoughts on everything Oklahoma State has returning on that side of the ball. Stay with us here on Locked on Poke. Welcome back. We're wrapping things up here on Locked on Pokes on a Wednesday. Colby Powell and Deanna Amade with you talking some actual football. We got the COVID conversation out of the way. We're going to proceed as if we're assuming there will be college football. Hopefully they can learn from everything happening with the MLB, figure out a plan and the best way to handle everything, and we will have college football. So Deanna Amade, former Oklahoma State Cowboy, joining me here uh, on Locked on Pokes as he does every single Wednesday. Uh, and Dion, I interrupted you so we could go to break, but I very much want your thoughts on this Oklahoma State defense because when I think Oklahoma State defense, the the benchmark, the standard is 2011. That that defense was a bend-but-don't-break defense, forced a lot of turnovers, and really, really made life difficult for opposing quarterbacks, uh, for wide receivers. You know, Markel Martin on the back end was unbelievable. Um, Yourself, Sean Lewis, Broderick Brown, all these guys. That 2011 defense was so special, and, and I think that that's the benchmark this defense, Dion, I think is probably the closest thing we will have seen since in Stillwater, and I think people should really be getting excited about watching Oklahoma State on that side of the ball. And I'm going to have to argue with you there and disagree. I want to say the benchmark is that 2013 defense. Oh, you got to remember that defense. Although, you know, because I think it's be, they the 2011 defense put up great numbers statistically especially when it came down to turnovers and the reason that that was known was because that offense always always turned those turnovers into points that was a big big notch and feather in the cap of that Oklahoma State team but 2013 I'm telling you, if you would have came to practice and saw the competition out there, if you would have saw what was being taken place on the practice field and how that defense would frustrate, frustrate that offense to no hell. I mean, you can ask Clint Shelf about it. He was not having practice, having fun at practice R- remind in, me the in big 2013. Names. Remind me the big names on that 2013 was, defense who, who were getting after it at practice. 
Well, the thing that you got to remember is our secondary was dynamic. You had literally, okay, uh, you you had D'Lo at safety. You had uh, Justin Gilbert. You had on the other side of that, you, you had uh, Kevin Peterson, NFL talent. You had both the Ashton Lampkin was out there at that time. You got to remember uh, uh, Tyler Patman was out there. Another NFL corner, guy, really good from, NFL career. Another NFL who, who transferred from Kansas. And you, you had so many talented. Then just go down the linebacker, Caleb Levy, Sean Lewis. Uh, uh, I'm blanking on names. Ryan Simmons. Uh, is that Craig out there running around? You had uh, blanking on names right now. Uh, number 29. Uh, was Rashetti Jones uh, still around come, at that time in thirteen? Rashetti graduated in two thousand eleven. So okay. Rashetti was, he was not on the eleven there. defense. Okay. But then now, now let's go down to the defensive line. You had Calvin Barnett. You had uh, you had Emmanuel Ogba. You had uh, just so many names, man. Where it, it, the one and the two deep. That's the thing that would set that defense apart. We could go one and two deep every week and frustrate offenses and get off the field. And the fact that we could play man because of the talent that we had in the secondary was, it was, it was mind blowing. It was mind blowing, man. So we could, so we could do some innovative things and some frustrating things. I mean, but just literally look at the, put the Baylor game on film in that 2013 season and see what kind of frustration that we put upon the number one offense, and probably I want to say, what was they number two or number number three team in the in the nation at were, that there point? There was a big game. That was uh, college game day. Was in town, I believe, if I'm remembering that right. Yes, State they were. Ran Baylor off the field. And you got to remember the elements were in our favor because we knew. I remember walking in there on Tuesday looking at the film, then everybody telling us about the weather, and I was telling everybody, these track stars are not going to want to be on the field with us in this weather with our style of defense. We are going to put up and smash them in the mouth the first quarter, and they're going to want to go home. They're going to want to go back to Waco and get back on that plane. It was a beautiful, beautiful performance. And I'm telling you, if this defense that we have here in 2020 can live up to that 2013 defense, we got a team on our hand right here, man. Yeah, I mean, you talk about names. We're talking secondary. Colby Harvell-Peel, Trey Sterling, those guys on the back end. Uh, Jarg Bernard obviously had a phenomenal season last year, kind of a breakout year for him. Malcolm Rodriguez, Amen Ogbong-Bamiga. And, and I think a lot of people are forgetting Calvin Bundage is making his way back onto the scene. You've got Colin Clay, the transfer, coming over from Arkansas. The only starter you really lose off of last year's defense is A.J. Green, which is a big loss, but you got Rodarius Williams on the other side. I think that with all the talent that you have at safety, I think you're really going to be able to cover up if there is a hole at one corner. I'm not sure that there is because you got Christian Holmes transferring in from Missouri as well. Uh, you can kind of cover some of that stuff up with your safety talent. So I think that this Oklahoma State defense, Dion, I, I don't know if I'm ready to – put them with 2011 and 2013 because I need to see it first, but I think that kind of potential exists with the talent right now in Oklahoma State's defense. Yeah, here's the thing. History always repeats itself. The, the tools that I see, the talent that I saw on that 2013 defense, I see the same type of stuff right now 
in that in this defense that we have right now. I mean, look at the back end. D'Lo and Shamil Gary running back-to-back on those safety positions. I mean, Trey Sterling, who was the surprise of last year, in my opinion, and as well as he played, him being back there with Kobe Harvell Pill and Jared Bernard, those two, those two guys, those three guys controlling things, and then with the linebacking core of Amen Abamiga and, uh, and uh, Malcolm Rodriguez, and with your man number one coming back into play, I mean, it's similar to that whole dynamic down there with Caleb Lady, Ryan, Ryan Simmons, and Sean Lewis. So we got guys, and not, let's not even, we even haven't mentioned the defensive line with the talent coming to play over there, with those guys being able to get back to the quarterback. I mean, it's a bunch of guys that we don't, they're not, you know, big, big name guys, but it's a lot of guys that have played a lot of minutes and have been consistent. I mean, uh, you know, Samuel that came in last year. Trace Ford's a problem. Trace Ford that came in. A big problem. A big problem. And I mean, the the numbers and the and the and the lifts and the and the team goes on and on and on. I mean, we're kind of stacked, and it's going to be very very impressive to see what these guys can you know put on the field. Yeah, Trace Ford and Calvin Bundage, both Edmund guys. And can you imagine whenever Calvin Bundage comes on a blitz, and now you've got Bundage on one ta- uh, coming at one tackle, you've got Trace Ford coming at the other tackle. It's uh, it's going to be a problem for a lot of Big Twelve offenses. And Dion, I'm just so glad Calvin Bundage is is able to make his way back onto the field and that he's doing it at Oklahoma State because I think people have forgotten how exciting of a player he is to watch. He he plays such an aggressive style. I always joke that he probably leads the NCAA and offsides penalties because he wants so badly to get to the quarterback. He is so antsy on that line of scrimmage. He's just like bouncing up and down like the Energizer Bunny, just waiting for that ball to be snapped so he can pin his ears back and go. So just the pure excitement of watching Calvin Bundage, uh, I I think people are are downplaying how much fun it's going to be to watch him and the other Cowboys on defense. Yeah, he's going to be a tear off that edge. I mean, now that we have so many players that can, you know, be, you know, consistent and play down in and down. I can't wait to see what they do with him on third down and in passing situations, just like sticking them in there and say, all right, you know what you do well, go do it. Yep, absolutely. I'm with you, Dion. Uh, good stuff today, as always. The next time we record will be post-August 4th, so we'll have some sort of decision from the NCAA, uh, hopefully handed down, and maybe the conferences will follow suit, and we'll have a little bit of more information as to what college football season is going to look like moving forward. Dion, good stuff, as always. We'll talk next week. Sounds good, Kobe. All right, that's Dion Imade, member of both the uh, 2011 and 2013 Oklahoma State defense. That's all for today. Back later in the week. Uh, by the way, Oklahoma State golf fans, World Golf Championship starts tomorrow. A lot of pokes in the field. Wolf, uh, Hovland, Fowler, all those guys. Uh, so turn that on. Cheer on your Oklahoma State Cowboys. All for today. Hope everyone enjoyed listening to another edition of Lockdown Pokes. Pokes.